Hey, welcome to Midtown Fellowship. It's great to have you with us. Do you ever wonder what it means to be a Christian? Or what does the Bible teach? Maybe what does the church believe? Or maybe even what do you believe? Well, for generations, the church has had creeds to help answer those questions and operate a statement of faith. So join us this summer. We're going to dive into one of the oldest of the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, to try to find some of those answers ourselves. If you'd like more information, you can go to midtownfellowship.org, but we would love for you to join us for worship at 8.30 and 10.30 on Sunday morning. Hope to see you there. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, thank you guys. Uh, Really good to be here. I'm not Randy, but I love Randy. Uh, and I'm giving Randy a break this morning. I'm actually giving uh, one of our other pastors a break um, who was unable to be here because he was sick. And that's just the benefit of getting to do uh, what we do at Midtown with the team. Uh, my name is Jonathan Nash. I'm the church planter and uh, congregational pastor of our Napier congregation and ministry. And uh, really, really pleased to get to be with you guys, uh, helping us kind of close out this summer series in the Apostles' Creed. So the Apostles' Creed is, is you know, I'm sure you know by now, is this the statement of the foundational tenets, you know, the, the, the things that we're all kind of stacking our hands on and saying, this is what we believe as believers. If we say we're believers, what do we believe in? The thing you just read that you said you believed that I'm going to be speaking about this morning is I believe in the Holy Spirit. So who is it that you believe in if you say that you believe in the Holy Spirit. That's what we're gonna be looking at. That's the, the question that I hope, hope I can help begin to answer through the word. So turn with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. We are going to uh, look at this topic of the Holy Spirit and what it means to say we believe in the Holy Spirit by looking at the words of Jesus about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read in John 14, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read just the first little half of verse 1. And then we're going to go down and we're going to read two little sections of three verses where Jesus teaches us who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. So hear the word of the Lord, John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. And then verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Father, um, let not our hearts be troubled this morning as we hear about this beautiful, wonderful, awe-inspiring mystery and reality of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So the context, the reason I kind of awkwardly read like the first half of the first verse and then these sections on the Holy Spirit is because the the context within which Jesus is teaching us for the first time ever about the Holy Spirit is the context of trouble. 
So this is the first time in the, in the scriptures that we get like teaching on who the Holy Spirit is. I'm not saying it's the first time we see the Holy Spirit or meet the Holy Spirit or the first time the word Holy Spirit or Spirit is mentioned. It's not the first time anyone has had an interaction with the Holy Spirit. It's not the first time we've seen the Holy Spirit working. The Holy Spirit is throughout all the scriptures from literally the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible in Genesis 1.1, we hear that the spirit of God was present at creation hovering over this this uncreation, the yet to be creation, the the before the creation was, whatever was there, it's called the, the, the waters or the deep, the spirit of God was present. So the spirit has always been because the spirit is God. And we'll talk more about that. But this is the first time ever in history that anyone has like taught us who the Holy Spirit is and really what he does. And it's Jesus that's teaching us this, which is very appropriate, right? The context for that teaching though, this significant moment is trouble. And that's really important. Jesus says to the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled and let me help you with your troubled hearts by telling you about the Holy Spirit. So that's who we're coming to see this morning. We'll we'll find as we look at this, that that's who's with us right now in our trouble is the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna, I'm gonna look at this from this, this statement. Ah, oh, thank you, the fat ones. I was breaking all the little ones uh, when I preached earlier. So I'm gonna write this sentence. He is with you. That is what this, this passage, this is what Jesus, before anything else, and if you don't hear anything else, hear that Jesus is telling us the Holy Spirit is with you in your trouble. He's with you, with your heart that's troubled. So we're gonna look at these three points. What, what is it, if he is, then who is he? Then we're gonna look at you. Who is the you that he's with? And then we're gonna really talk about what does it mean that he is with us? the most powerful word in the Bible, in my opinion. So who is he? If he is, who is he? Well, for all my grammar friends, I'm not one of you, but I'll pretend. This is both the subject and the verb of our sentence. God is the subject and the verb of the sentence. He is the person, he is the one, and he's the action that he does. So he's everything. He's the beginning and the end. And it's why in Exodus, when uh, Moses meets with God, all God can tell Moses when Moses says, who are you is I am. He is, okay? That's important. So he's the subject and the verb. So what is it that he does? Who is he? And we get that in in this passage. First of all, in this passage, we get that he is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not one of three gods. We don't believe there are three gods. We also don't believe God is just like, a white wall or like a single stick. Like he's not, he, he's not, he, he, he has personality. He has diversity in his unity. Christianity believes and the Bible teaches that God is one. And yet, like all of us, God is not singular. He has diversity in his unity. And so there's the father, the son, the Holy Spirit. They are in relationship with one another because Jesus in this passage talks about his relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then a little bit later in a verse we didn't read, he talks about his relationship with the father. And he says, I am in my father, you are in me and I am in you. And we're all in the Holy Spirit. So it's this crazy, like feels like I put my brain in the dryer and turned it on high. I'm tumbling around, but 
in that craziness, we can begin to understand the beauty of who we believe God is. And so in this chapter, in this passage, we get teaching on who the Holy Spirit is. He is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going. And, and, you know, I can't make you, I can't, I can't force us all to be back in the heart space of the disciples to hear Jesus tell them, I'm leaving you. But if you could be there, you would be devastated. They were devastated. That's the context for their troubled hearts. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, my friends, because he has just told them just earlier in chapter 13, I'm gonna leave. And even says, I'm going and where I'm going, you can't follow. It's like your father plus your brother plus your best friend plus your spouse. Like all that together, if they just said, you know, I'm gonna leave and it's gonna be soon. (laughs) I mean, it would wreck you. So these disciples are wrecked. Their hearts are troubled. We'll talk about more of that in just a second. But that's the context with which Jesus is saying, I'm going, but I'm gonna send you myself, another version of myself. I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. He calls him another helper here. I don't like that word helper. It's not because I'm a like better Greek translator than whoever I'm reading in the ESV. They chose the word helper to represent the Greek word parakletos. And like a lot of Greek words and probably true for some English words too, when you translate it to another language, it's not a one-to-one. There's not just one single word that fills the void of this word parakletos. It actually takes probably six or seven words. So let's unpack what it means that the Holy Spirit is another helper because we're trying to figure out who he is, right? So he's the parakletos. This uses the word helper. The word parakletos is a, is a compound word. It's two Greek words, para is a positional word. And it's not like a positional as in someone's in front of you. And it's not positional in that this person is behind you. It's, it's with you. Para means with, like standing alongside, like joined at the hip. That kind of with you. Like someone has come next to you and has just linked up with you and, and, and stood with you. A friend by your side. And then kletos is the the Greek word kaleo, which is to call out or to shout out. So the picture of a parakletos is someone who is your friend standing by your side, solid and joined with you at the hip and is shouting out on your behalf, is calling out in your defense. And actually this word in certain forms is a technical word for a defense attorney. It's like, like if in, that, in that context, in that setting, it literally was someone who would come and, and call out as a friend by your side that you trust, but who can advocate for you in your defense when others are attacking you. Other words that have been used to translate the Holy Spirit, parakletos, is advocate, which we can get that, we can kind of see that, counselor, Kind of makes me think like a camp counselor, but (laughs) comforter is a good one. But it can also make me think of like my quilt on my bed. (laughs) But put them all together and try to add like depth and richness to it. And that's this picture of a friend by your side shouting out in your defense, who's defending you. 
like in the movie 300, how all the guys would, would stick close to each other. They were stronger when they were connected at the hip because they had their swords out and could defend one another. That is who he is, the Holy Spirit. I've had, uh, I don't even know what word to use for it, uh, just a profound, disturbing, beautiful, painful, but also joyful experience of being in a very imperfect version of this for someone recently. Um, part of the joy and the challenge of the work that I do in the particular uh, community that we're in and, and where we are gathering a, a, a body of believers to worship together in is that I get the chance to uh, go to court with people fairly often. And uh, I've got a neighbor, uh, just a few houses down, but also a congregant of ours who um, I've been doing that with for the last several months. Uh, I've been able to go to court with him four or five different times. And he, because of who he is, he has a felony on his record because of how he looks, because of all the factors that you can see when you see him and that the court sees when they see him, he's about as powerless in that setting as he could possibly be. And I come in with a suit on as a pastor looking the way I look and I've got power has nothing to do with who I really am, right? Or, or my qualities or what I can actually do, but it, it's real. I come in with power that he doesn't have. And I stand with him and talk to his attorney with him who is not a paracletos. I'm not saying that is always the case. In this case, that is the case in my experience. And I have gotten to be somewhat of this for him. And yet, <laughs> it's wrecked me because I feel so inadequate, so insufficient. And I think in some part, because we are friends, our relationship is just a real relationship as men in this world in and of itself, I've been, a, been able to feel and, and bear some of his helplessness. It's been, it's been, yeah, profound. And I think it's helped me to begin to understand a little bit what this means, that the Holy Spirit would be that for me in ways that I can never be that for my brother. So that's who he is. He's the Paracletos. Then what about us? If that's who he is, then if he's with you, then who is the you that he's with? My friends who know grammar tell me that's the direct object of the sentence. Is that true? Anyone, can you confirm? <laughs> Nobody, we got one. Okay, good. He says it's the direct object of the sentence. Okay, but play with me here. This is fun, but it's, it's profound. He is the subject and the verb, but we are the object of his affection. We are the object of his work. We are the ones that he's with. All of those things we just said about him being a paracletos, we receive that. But who are you? Well, in this passage, it's clear we're troubled because that's who he's with, right? In this, in this chapter, in this story, the audience of Jesus' teaching on who the Holy Spirit was were 12 troubled men, deeply troubled. It's funny, my wife uh, doesn't love this about me, but I kind of like trouble, a certain kind of it. Like, I, I'm just saying, everyone's different, but like, I drive a little too fast. Like I, I really do, like I love roller coasters. I love rock climbing. I love putting myself in like very controlled danger or very controlled trouble. 
I'm serious. I was in uh, Zion National Park a few months ago getting to backpack. I get to do it about once a year. And I mean, it got hairy. We, there was a day that we, were, we had just started, our water ran out, there was no, the spring had dried up that we were supposed to have. And we had like 25 miles of desert hiking in the heat with very little water. And then my boots blew out, like the soles came off my boots. So now I was in my sandals. I loved it. <laughs> I loved that day, it was great. So there's a part of trouble that I'm kind of like, oh, you know, no big deal. But guess what? I hate being in trouble. Like, I hate it. I don't wanna be in trouble with you, any one of you. I don't care, I don't even have to know you. If I think I'm in trouble with you, seriously, I care so much about what people think about me. I wanna feel like whatever bar I have perceived you would have of me, I've met it or I've exceeded it. I don't wanna be weak, I don't wanna be insufficient. Like, I want to meet everyone's expectations. I wanna follow the rules. We're all different, but that's me. My point is this, we're all in trouble or maybe more accurately for what's going on here, we all have troubled hearts. We live with troubled hearts. Why? Let's talk about that for a second. Well, we're in trouble and we experience trouble because the outside world is trouble. We live in a gap, y'all. Y'all know about the gap? You do know about the gap. The gap is the gap between the way things should be and then the way things actually are. The gap is the way this world ought to be that every one of us just inherently feels and knows. The gap between that and the way it actually is. Inside the gap, we experience trouble. The outside world, when we see it, when we, when we read the news, when we know what's going on, if you have half a heart and you begin to, to feel the, whether it's a version of just like helplessness or hopelessness or anger or fear or frustration, that's feeling the trouble of this world and the gap between the way things are actually and then the way things deeply down we know they should be. The death, the violence, the, the things that are done against others. Disease, I mean, the, the very natural world we live in, we experience trouble. And let's just call it what it is. It, it's pain. This world wounds us. We're not just, it's not just troubled hearts. We have wounded hearts. We experience the pain of this life. I could ask every single one of you, and I would never do this, but I could. I could ask, and we could all put all of our, like kind of the important elements of our life, just fling them out on the table, and you could point to every single one of these things, and you could tell me the trouble in all aspects of your life. And some of them are way better than others, right? Some of you have like excellent elements of your life, like good relationships with your kids, good relationships with your spouse, good relationships with your parents. Some of you have much less so. Some of us have much less so. Your job, like your career, the, the work you're doing, how you see yourself, your body, how much money. I mean, we could go on and on. There's, there's infinite little elements of our lives and there's gap in all of those things. Things are not the way they should be, and this creates pain. We live in that gap, and it creates a troubled heart, but it's even worse than that because, honestly, that gap lives in us. Because who is it that creates the trouble in this world? It's us. We are all complicit in our pain. We've all contributed to 
the trouble that exists in the world. Every one of us have done things that have hurt other people. We've created trouble in other people and we've made decisions that have hurt ourselves and created trouble for ourselves. This isn't just the world that's assaulting us, although that is true as well. Our own hearts, the scripture says, our own hearts deceive us. Our own hearts attack us. Our own hearts create this woundedness inside of us. We are part of what's wrong in this world. And so it's to us, it's to you that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. He says, he is with you in all of that, in all your trouble. Because what we love to do in our place of trouble is we love to, to follow other illusions, right? What I always, no matter what it is, it's always I make my trouble bigger than it really is and I make God smaller than he really is. Maybe I blame the world for that and I make the world's trouble or I make your trouble bigger than it really is and you're the one to blame and now I'm self-righteous. Or maybe I'm the kind of person that flips it and it's all my fault. I make my, I'm the one to blame. I blame myself for everything that's wrong. And now it's a different version of self-righteous. It's self-hating. Whatever we do with this trouble, if it's not taking it to the Lord, if it's not letting the Lord be as big as he is in it and let him teach us where our trouble really is in it, then it's gonna lead us off. It's gonna lead us far from him. And so it's in this context that Jesus says, I'm going, but I'm gonna send someone to be with you. I'm gonna send a paraclete to stand by your side joined at the hip with you with a sword, ready to call out in your defense and defend you. And so we get to the most beautiful word in the English language and in the Bible, the preposition, with. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is with us in our trouble and all those things that we just talked about? Well, what it means is he stands in the gap with you. That he's with you where you are. He's not with the version of you you'd like to have. He's with the real you in the real trouble, in the real pain. He's joined with you, standing with you by your side. He's not ahead of you saying, come on, get out of there. He's not behind you going, God, get going. He's not above you looking down saying, man, you better raise to my level, figure this out. He's with you. He's next to you. He's in it with you, which is exactly where we want our friends to be, right? It's usually all I can hope for for my friends is at least will you just be with me? <laughs> Don't fix me. Don't tell me it'll all get better. Just at least be with me in my trouble. Husbands, your wife wants you to be with her in her trouble. And wives, your husband wants you to be with him in his trouble. Parents, it's what your kids want. It's what we all want, but guess what? The Holy Spirit does that and then does something more than that. Because not only is the Holy Spirit with us in our trouble, the Holy Spirit actually feeds us Jesus in our trouble, which heals our trouble, which fixes our trouble, which changes our trouble, changes our pain from what it would be without him to something different. And that's what he does when he's with us. So let's talk about that for a second. What does it mean that if I have the Holy Spirit, it's not just, oh, he's with me and now I have like a friend and it's just a little bit less bad than it was before. It's, that's different than what the Holy Spirit does. Well, if you notice in there, it also calls him the spirit of truth. And then in verse 26, it says this, he will teach you all things, which is the truth again, teach you the truth. 
And then it says, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, which again is the truth. Because just a few verses before this, we get the very famous phrase of Jesus. This is literally in the same chapter, a few verses before this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we have Jesus looking at his disciples saying, I'm the truth, the truth in all this mess. I'm the truth. And then the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. So what do you think the spirit does when he is with us in our trouble? He feeds us with the truth, with Jesus. We get the truth with us in our, in our trouble. In uh, chapter 16, verse 33, it says he guides us into the truth. He guides us into Jesus. And what does Jesus do when he's with us? What does the truth do to your trouble? Well, the truth looks at you and tells you what's true, reminds you what's true, guides you into what's true. Because remember, what did I say we do with our trouble? We get illusioned, right? We, get, we, get, we begin to believe crazy things, crazy things. Like, it's all my fault. I'm done, I'm over, I'm not enough. Or it's all your fault, I hate you. You're worthless. I'm all alone. We get crazy when we don't have the truth. And the Holy Spirit brings us back to the truth and says, by the way, I'm with you in this. And Jesus comes to us as the truth and he looks at you and he says, you are not your trouble, you are my son. You are not your trouble, you are my daughter. It is not hopeless, you are not alone. This isn't all your fault, although some of it is. And I'm with you and you're my daughter, and you're my son, and you're my son, and you're my daughter, and I love you, and I delight in you. I don't just tolerate you. I don't just like, oh, I hope you'll get better one day. When you grow up, when you leave the house and turn 18, maybe you'll be good enough. No, he's, he delights in you from you know, the, the baby that you are all the way till you're an adult. He's with you because he says, I've redeemed you. Because the Jesus that told the disciples this was the Jesus that knew he was about to go to the cross and was gonna get up there and was gonna fix all of that trouble by taking our sin, which is just another word for our limitedness, our brokenness, our inability to reach the mark of perfection. He took all of that on himself and he said, it is finished. So he can look at us and he can say, it's not the crazy things you're thinking. It's the truth of who I am and who you are because of me. And who is that? Who are we because of Jesus? Well, he said we're, we're sons, we're daughters. But he also offers us some clear gifts here. Look at verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. What's the opposite of peace? Trouble, warfare, strife, internal turmoil and strife and anxiety and fighting and hatred and anger and external corruption and injustice and sin and abuse. In both of those things, he says, I leave you with my peace through the Holy Spirit. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. To close out, uh, flip just one page in your Bible to chapter 16. And look at verse 33 for me. Sixteen thirty-three. this is the same conversation with Jesus. And Jesus looks at his disciples 
he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In me, who is with you, you may have peace. And then he says, in the world, you will have trouble. So we don't have to be illusioned. We don't have to be deceived. We don't have to be crazy. We will still have trouble. We will still have pain. But we don't bear that pain without a comforter. We don't bear that pain without a paraclete, an advocate. And we don't bear that pain and experience that trouble without the truth being with us. So he says, in me, you have peace. In the world, you have trouble or pain, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And guys, yes, that there is a absolutely definitively true about that. And then there is a, it's not quite yet the way it's gonna be true about that. Because we can look to heaven and it doesn't mean we give up on this world because Jesus says, in me, you, in me, you have peace now. And you're an agent of peace now, but there is gonna be a time when this, this gap isn't gonna exist. It's gonna close. In heaven, there will be no strife. There will be no trouble. It will just be the peace and the joy and the fullness. And I like to think what he says there when he says, take heart, I have overcome the world, is he's saying, take my heart. Because our hearts deceive us. Our hearts continue to spiral us into trouble and he says, you know what? T take my heart. Because in me, you have peace. Let me pray. Um, Jesus, thank you. Uh, thank you that when you left and you were no longer breathing as a man with flesh and blood on this earth, you didn't leave us. And you left us this beautiful, incredible companion this helper, this advocate, this comforter, this counselor, this, this friend linked by our side who loves us and knows us better than we know ourselves who's shouting out in our defense. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and I pray uh, that the, the truth of this would now be something we get to sit in for at least a few more minutes and, and rejoice and praise and worship you for and would be something we take with us back home where we will begin to experience again the trouble of the world. Thank you that you're with us in it. In Jesus' name, amen.